I think for Munster, for them in order to get a performance and a result, they need to concentrate on how well they played over the last eight weeks since that kind of post-Six Nations win. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now you're welcome along Monday Night Rugby. So we are five days out from a European Cup final. The URC regular season has drawn to a close. Uh, URC headline news is that Munster will be away to Ulster in the quarterfinals. That quarterfinal in Belfast will be on Friday the 3rd of June. And that's after their defeat at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday. Leinster, the winners at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday will host Glasgow on Saturday the 4th of June that's a 3.15 kickoff at the RGS so Munster will be on the road really to the end they have an away semi-final if they win in Belfast as with Ulster and that would be away to either Edinburgh and I'm sure they're praying it's a trip to Scotland or else uh, Stormers in South Africa in the semi-final uh, seventh defeat across the league for Munster so they can't really complain uh, Leinster will have the Bulls or the Sharks in the semi-final uh, regardless of whom it will be a home Semi-final, and then Connacht finished up their season twenty-two to twenty winners at home to Zebra. Very happy to say Fiona Hayes, Grand Slam winner, is with us. Hey Fiona, hi Jerry. Are here? I'm just saying hello to Jerry. Hi Joe, how are you? <laughs> You're jumping the gun. Say hi to oh, Jerry, yeah. Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times. Do you want to say hi to him, Fiona? Hey Jerry, how are you? <laughs> hi Fiona. Hi Joe. You well? Very well. Uh, listen, I understand, Fiona, you're a bit shaken after the <laughs> events of Saturday. Leinster 35, Munster uh, 25. Uh, it should be said, Munster were without Peter Amani, Tyke Byrne, Simon Zebo, Dealande, amongst others. But uh, Leinster were very much playing second string side. They're more concerned, obviously, with the uh, European final. And it's pretty uh, demoralising, I would think, for Munster uh, when you also add in the fact that their need to win the game was far greater than Leinster's. Yeah, that's that's exactly it, Joe. It was the need to win the game, and you know we talked we talked in the in the last few when I was been chatting to you before how how we've thought they, they their their gameplay has been getting better and better. We've seen a lot more in attack. We knew what they could do in defence throughout the season, but um, unfortunately uh, this weekend it definitely didn't click. It looked like there was tired bodies out there, which I I, I can't understand. Um, it, it really showed up the the Munster depth chart compared to the the Leinster depth chart. And it was it was just you know at times they played grubby, but over the whole eighty minutes it was it was definitely a disappointing performance. Uh, for people who didn't see the game or, or just want a general sense of it, I mean it was lively at uh, thirty-five to twenty-five. Scott Penny on the wing with the opening score after just two minutes, a great Kieran Frawley uh, kick, and then Harry Byrne made it eight 0 But to be fair to Munster, they hit back for a time. Uh, Jack O'Donoghue on the end of a twenty-five meter Keith Earls pass, and then a Mike Haley pick and go, and so after two. Red zone entries, as I guess they're called. Uh, Munster had scored two tries. Uh, then there was a great Leinster try. Uh, Frawley uh, made a break off a Jamie Osborne uh, pass. And then the scrum half, Cormac Foley, uh, finished. Just his second start for Leinster. So 15-12. Uh, Carberry pounces on a kick early in the second half. Munster ahead again. I suppose, Jerry, the, the crucial period, the settling of the game, was uh, 50th and 54th minutes on 50 minutes, a Leinster Mull try and then 54 minutes with Jordan Larmer looking very fresh in amongst uh, this passage of play. Rory O'Loughlin uh, went over on the left-hand side and that suddenly put a 10-point gap between the teams and Munster never really punctured that again with any real intent. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a pretty neat synopsis of it. I mightn't go along entirely with you about everything, Joe. I mean, I thought that, uh, I thought it was a belt of a match, cracking game. I mean, the first scrum wasn't until the 26th minute, by which side we'd already had two brilliant tries for each side. It was really entertaining. Um, Munster unveiled um, a brand of rugby that they just weren't playing at the start of the season. They were using the full width of the pitch. They were playing heads up. It was um, like there are two tries that in response to the first lens drive were outstanding. Every one of those tries was a cracker. I mean, and it was just a really entertaining game. And and I thought that it's funny, you know, Munster get damned, they do damned, they don't. I've met some Munster fans think, no, no, they should have played more one pace. They should have played more mall. They should have played one more off. But like, that's the criticism of them. They don't, they, they kind of say they didn't try different things. They offloaded a, a lot. They played heads up like that Mike Haley try. I'm sure that wasn't in the plan originally for Murray to flick a little pass out his back to Candelan and him to get over the game line. Keith Earl sweeping around off his wing, taking the pullback from Joey Carby. It was a beauty of a pass, wasn't it? And a good finish by Jack O'Donoghue. Yeah. There was a spell, do you remember it in the second half, Joe, when you say they didn't really come close again? Do you remember that spell of offloading from Farrell, Connor Murray, Tom O'Hearn, Alex Kendlin, Jack O'Donoghue? Yeah. And then it's recycled a couple more times and unfortunately Jack O'Donoghue's offload for Keith Earl's um, was fact was forward, and so the try didn't count. But that would have been one of the tries of the season. And I think then they would have got within seven points and got their fourth try, and would now be looking at a home quarter final. And while they'll still be criticised for losing away to Leinster, there might be a different perspective. And I think it's the fact that they've said goodbye now too. That that Ed Sheeran ended up saying a later goodbye to Tolman Park this season. Then Johan Van Grand, Stephen Larkham, JP Ferreira, John Ryan, Chris Closey, and all the other players who are leaving. It just seems daft, really. But anyway, that's a monster for you. I do. I was a bit puzzled, Joe. I do think they gave it a good go. There was one 24 phase attack in the last 10 minutes, but they couldn't really. Like Fiona will make the point that Munster lacked big ball carriers. They couldn't really penetrate without Dayende and Coombs and others and get over the game. And it was bloody hard work. And Leinster kept the defensive shape all the way until Joey goes to the wide skip out. He just pulled the trigger a little bit too soon, easing the cheap seats. And Jack Daly was rounded to touch by Jamie Osborne because Leinster were numbers up in defence. But I do thought they gave it a go. The one thing I was really puzzled by in their approach was that they went into the game knowing that two match points got them a home quarter final. Hmm. One minute into the second half, they've got three tries and they're leading 19-15. They've 38 minutes to get a fourth try and just finish within seven and they're back at Thoman Park. And they twice kick penalties, one from the front of the post and one from the 40 metres. And Johan van Grand said after, they discussed all eventualities with Jack O'Donnell, he had. And surely the management could have made the players aware at halftime, look bad to be come out of this with two match points, we're back in Thoman Park for a quarter final. And I just can't, I'm really puzzled by the rationale and none the wiser really after Johan van Graan was asked about it, as to why they turned down the opportunity to go to the corner because whatever else they needed, they needed that fourth try. They just That was imperative. It was almost more important than winning the match, whether or not they won the match, if you know what I mean. They, they had to get the fourth try because then if they did win the match, they were home, 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 home all the way to the final, home semi-final in Tone Park as well. So I was just a bit puzzled by that one. That's a great point. Fiona, could you shed any light on their thinking? No, that was exactly it. It was when um, they were 10 points down and Connor and they decided to go for the post. I think it was around the 63rd minute. That's when I really couldn't understand. Um, uh, Leinster actually had someone in the bin at the time as well. They were about 38 metres out, kick it into a corner, give give them all a go. Um, 
I just, I, I know they were trying to think, win the match and get within seven and, and go from there. But it was that fourth, they needed that bonus point try, that, that extra try. And, and I just, I, it was something that was baffling me watching it. Mm. I thought I'd done my mathematics wrong, Joe. And and that maybe that uh, if, if that was the case, they might've been going to South Africa or something like that. But when I looked at it afterwards, it wasn't at all. They just, they they obviously didn't understand. Um, maybe I could be wrong, but they obviously had had got it wrong on the pitch as well. Because that's something you definitely be forcing to go for. Jerry, fact, did, that, did yeah. that penalty get them back to within seven without seven. the try, which yes. was the one point in defeat, which was the last result they wanted because then they were going to South Africa South for the Africa. quarterfinals, yeah. the high belt. So then, like, like their preference, the most, number one was try to get five points, number two was try to get four points, number three was try to get two points, and number four was try to get zero rather than one. And they took a penalty to make it a seven point. I, I don't get it. Anyway, go on. Sorry. No, you're Just fine. It's a, well, it's a great point. Uh, Jerry, you're always, I know even from just text messages from the listeners or, or comments, uh, you're very popular with them. Uh, one of the reasons being you're a very fair observer and that fairness has absolutely extended to Munster across this season. So on the one hand, the way you've talked about that game on Saturday, even to my eye, the way they had a bit of a go, it seems very fair on Munster. And yet I was very struck by different observers across the day being very down on the Munster performance. So, for instance, yeah. Alan Quinlan was on AM this morning with Jaron Owen. And really, he noted that Munster had more possession, more territory, Leinster had to make more tackles. And his line, which just jumped out, was Munster, when it comes to their attacking shape in particular, he said, Munster are a badly coached side. Not just not great, not, you know, not at Leinster's level, just a badly uh, coached side. And then uh, Bernard Jackman on the uh, 42 was incredibly damning of the whole Munster effort. So he was saying things like, well, look, strength of depth is, is not necessarily on the coaching ticket, but it's it's part of his overall uh, point. So he was saying Harry Byrne, third choice, Cormac Foley, fourth choice. They were clearly the better halfbacks on the pitch. It's damning of Munster given the importance of the game. We talk second string, but Rob Russell, where's he in the pecking order? And then what he said, and here's maybe the, here's the key point, really, as we say goodbye to this coaching staff. He said, it's hard to believe Munster went out there with such a lack of a plan. Not even a plan, just basic things. They weren't implementing attacking principles that most teams would have. And then Bernard got technical and found this very interesting. So he was saying, uh, Munster are trying effectively to play the same shape as Leinster off an edge, which is a 3-2 shape, he said. Don't worry if you're not following this, by the way, perfectly over the radio. It's more his overall point. He said in that shape then, the connect player, if it's Joey at the back, he's not animated. Sometimes he doesn't bother following them. And then when he does, the pass isn't where it needs to be or he gets too lateral so Leinster can come up and shut him down. The two guys who are supposed to be running off Joey's shoulder are too deep or else they're not connected. Like it's really poor. It's a really poor copy and paste job. And again, Ireland are doing this. So Joey and Conor Murray and whoever, it's not just down to Larkham. I mean, these lads should know how to do it properly. The worst thing is actually to imitate another side, but then not actually have the work rate or the tools to do it properly. Now, I take what you said absolutely about Munster's performance, but some of these comments about Munster just look so damning and and they do explain in many ways why Munster are where they are after several years of this uh, coach. Well, yeah, and this goes back to them. Being uh, Leinster being so much more advanced in their in the way they play their game and in the way they're coached, so that we've seen it many many times before last Saturday. This is why they're going for their fifth title in a row after four pro fourteens in a row, and they go to depth chart deep into their fifties. So they can go down to your fifth or sixth choice scrum half, and Ben Murphy becoming their sixtieth player of the season, and everybody absolutely understands the role. Everybody starts in. 
it's just the shape and attack is absolutely so much better. But they've been playing this for years. This is a game that's just been evolving and evolving for years. At the start of the season, when Munster were racking up bonus point wins in Tolman Park against South African sides the like, it was through um, a one-off power game and their mall. I mean, there was no development of their attacking game. They're winning matches, but I was even making the point then, yeah, but where's this going to get you in the latter stage of the season? So then, as the season's evolved, they tr- they've had quite an about turn and and tried to evolve into something they haven't been before. And they're just, they're, their game just isn't as evolved. They're not, prob- they don't look as well coached. And most probably, they don't have the players. I would think a Leinster stroke B side would probably beat Munster, Ulster or Connors at home and lots of other sides as well. Like, you know, in, in our damnation of Munster and there are many flaws there and it looks now absolutely like it's probably a good time for a clean brush and uh, Graham Rantry knowing what's what it's all like down there and coming in as a number two like Andy Farrell did with Ireland and bringing in Mikey Grandergast's ideas and probably Dennis Leamy's ideas as well and just start afresh. It does look like they need a bit of a reboot now. Mm. But I don't think we should lose sight of what an extraordinary machine Leinster have become. Like, just absolutely extraordinary coaching ticket, extraordinary skill set of players, extraordinary production line from mini rugby, through schools rugby, through their academy, everything else. They're they're just a remarkable machine. And we talked about this last week, Joe. Yeah. There's no, we shouldn't lose sight of that. There's no other professional outfit in world rugby at the moment due to this extent. Of the 60 players they've used, 44 are indigenous homegrown products of the Leinster system. It's nuts. Hmm. Fiona, your thoughts on the criticisms there I read out of Munster? Yeah, I think he's right. I think that's something I noticed watching the game as well, especially I said in the second half, they just couldn't get over that gain line and they were setting up so deep off Joey. It was like, you know, they're not, their footwork wasn't there. We saw a lot of, you know, the hand and errors were uncharacteristic of some players at times. There was definitely that, but the thing that, you know, I watched the, the game up in Ulster at the weekend and, you know, we saw the lateral running, they were going from side to side and they weren't penetrating that gain line. And I saw similar for the last 20 minutes with Munster. Obviously, they had their 24 phases, but they just, they did not look like they were going to score. And that's really, really worrying. And something, you know, Jerry's right. They looked at kind of inventing the the, the attacking game. They moved away from the, the from the mall. That like, and um, I saw it in this game that the effectiveness of then when they were using their mall, it, it just was, they weren't getting any ground. And that's credit to Leinster, but it's also, they've also obviously are going in to set up their mall and deciding whether they'll go with the mall or do a move, you know, where the guy comes around the front and moves off that. And you can see the shape. It's just not detailed enough at the minute. And it's not detailed enough in their pods with the forwards. And we saw that Leinster especially exposed that in their defence and they just came up in Munster. And when they were put under pressure, there was no one to get that ball over the gain line. And even Chris Farrell, I was talking to Jerry, I thought Chris Farrell had a really good game. And, and he talked about, you know, he talked about offloading. But how many times did we see Farrell get gain line and get his hands free and it just no looked like there was no energy and no one was running off him mm. so it was almost like they weren't even on the same plate they, they were just wanted to rock and set up from there if they and I know that was probably more so towards the end of the match but it was it was just disappointing in their energy and you know and we saw in Toulouse we know their defensive system it can be quite good at times and I thought the defence was a little bit off as well obviously Diolande was a big uh, miss in the centre but I mean some of the like Hats off to Larmer, an exceptional player. But to to have him getting 217 metres, I'm not saying it just defensively we looked all over the place. There was no one coming up and shutting down his space. It was almost like we Munster gave him the space to run at them. It's extraordinary, isn't it, Fiona, that the, from his first counter-attack, it's a kick through by a flanker. And the first five players he beats are forwards. Forwards. Like, 
It's astonishing. Yeah. And the sixth player he's eventually tackled by is Conor Murray. Mm. And this is from a kick ahead. Like, this is clearly, okay, I, heads up rugby. One more thing that I would say, Fiona, is I don't know if you agree with me. We've all, Joe, you, we've all heard about these stews days. I'd love to go to one. And I'd love then to go down to the Munster High Performance Centre on a Tuesday and compare and contrast the pace at which they work yeah. and the intensity of the training session. I'd love to know, I've heard, and I would be surprised if less is somewhat quicker and higher intensity. We all know the answer to that. Yeah. You know? It's, it's yeah. just so evident, isn't it? Because yeah. you could see these uh, third and even fourth string players are so accustomed to playing at that level in training and they were able to translate it and Munster still are off the pace. In some ways, Jerry, and I remember those um, early uh, nights in the URC and we were all very interested to see South African opposition away to uh, Munster early on. And then there was one night where they were down at half time. I can't remember which franchise it was against but they played very good uh, rugby and then Munster just with their power beat them in the second half and mm-hmm. I do remember us saying and <laughs> it was a rinse wash repeat situation much like previous seasons this isn't going to work when we get into yeah. the latter half of the year the most damning critique you'd have to make of this uh, Munster coaching ticket is I accept uh, your point that of course the plan can't be as uh, well put together as Leinster because Leinster have been doing it for much longer the most damning critique you would make of uh, the Munster coaching ticket is that they decided to get with the programme so late in the day yeah yeah absolutely you got to be doing if you're, if this is the way you're going to end up trying to play end of season playoff games against Leinster and the you're going to try and always take them on their own game then you have to be doing it from pre-season don't you you have to do it from rounds one, two, three, four that's why I was always concerned about the way they went out at the start yeah. that being said I thought there was some good performances on, along the way mm-hmm. most notably Wasps away I mean ironically the kids the kids <laughs> that was the one where they had the least coaching <laughs> and look how well they played I mean and Wasps were very much a cobbled together team as well and the first half was like watching the Barbarians against the <laughs> Barbarians it was just extraordinary and maybe it shows that less is more particularly when it comes to coaching I don't mm-hmm. know but yeah, yeah, you're right. They've got a. It's been a very, a very uneven season in terms of performances. I mean, I thought the extra performance at home and even away was very resilient. But I thought the extra performance at home was very good. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be. Then you can just sniff at everything Munster do just because they're not. You can't just judge it purely by lifting silverware. There is a certain honour in getting to 19 quarterfinals in Europe, a record that only only to lose of equal. Like there's there's something to be said for achieving that. Unfortunately, it doesn't get recognised in the greater scheme of things because they have end of seasons like this and uh, mm. and they haven't won a trophy since 2011 and uh, and there's a lot of neg- negativity around this coaching ticket now particularly since it's been known since December thereabouts that they were leaving um, and like I said earlier it definitely looks like it needs a reboot a yeah. fresh outlook yeah, and with that as well Joe you know what like in those two games Jerry, I thought like Munster obviously got great energy off the, in, uh, off the turnovers against Exeter and against Toulouse it really yeah. lifted them they couldn't get a sniff of it no. anywhere near that breakdown at Leinster there was they, they Frank Murphy hands away straight away and correctly so but they, it was it was literally they couldn't get it and I, it was almost like they lacked energy then throughout the game That's even great. Toulouse couldn't against, admittedly it was Toulouse against Leinster's first team but it was still Toulouse they yeah. manage one turnover. It can hardly make us a ruck last longer than three seconds in the entire match. They're a machine. Yes. Well, I'll come to actually Leo Cullen talking about the breakdown. It was read in your piece, Jerry, ahead of the La Rochelle game in just a moment. Just one last point, Fiona. It jumped into my mind when you were talking there about the players off Joey Carberry being too deep in certain instances. And what just immediately just jumped into my head was the Ireland-Italy game. Carberry starts and things just look less well-oiled all around him all around him less well-oiled people maybe in maybe potentially not 
the right positions. Sexton comes on and things just suddenly are in place. Everything around him is, is like clockwork again. Now, a part of me thinks, geez, it shouldn't be the out half's uh, job to like marshal everyone and to like be the babysitter for everyone around him. And yet for <laughs> maybe players are used to Sexton or maybe this is just this is just the nature of rugby and the nature of being a 10. But it seems to be an aspect of the position. And uh, just when you mentioned that, players too deep off Carberry. Yeah, it's their responsibility, but maybe if you're going to be a 10, it's also your responsibility. Yeah, it's your responsibility. But look, that could have been the game plan. They could have known that Leinster were going to fire up in defence and they, they, they forwards that part of two that were outside could have been asked to, to take a step back. You don't know what the coaching ticket has said. It just wasn't effective. Okay. They were getting met at the game line all the time. So look, it's it's Carberry. Yeah, he is in control and he should probably spot that. And the likes of Johnny Sexton will see that and get him to flatten up maybe. So it's just something with more game time. It's, it's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. I thought he has been playing well but this wasn't his best game in my opinion Okay uh, Has Jordan Larmer forced his way into the European Cup Final 23 Jerry? It's a good question If anybody has last Saturday night it was him wasn't it? It was a timely reminder lest we forget of what a, an extraordinary one-off player he is There's really no other player quite like him in Irish rugby Probably the, the nearest thing to him in the last 10 or 12 years was probably Luke Fitzgerald That kind of acceleration and quick feet and Larmer's even more kind of um, mesmerising, slaloming kind of... I mean, he was making everybody else look like they were jogging on the spot at times. It was his own teammates, never mind the opposition. It got, it got to be a little faintly ridiculous. To the point the second half when he got the ball and he kicked it, and you can almost hear the audible groan from the crowd. Jo- Jordan, you weren't born to kick the ball, lad. You were born to run with it. So, yeah, he provides an X factor if you were chasing a game with 15, 20 minutes to go. Um, he's your classic number 23 as well, isn't he? He can play fullback. He can play either wing. He can play 13. He's done so for Ireland, didn't he? I think he moved, didn't he play the Twickenham Grand Slam match, some of that match at 13? Yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah. you know, he's the ideal fit for 23. He didn't play for 10 weeks. He looks like he's as fresh as fresh mm-hmm. from as, as he possibly could be. There aren't that many players in Irish rugby. There's really nobody quite like with that kind of X factor, that ability to just beat players in a phone box and to accelerate. And it, it's a real food for thought for them. I wouldn't be surprised if he does make 23. And the other one, of course, is Ryan Baird, given he can play both mm-hmm. second row and back row, as he showed. Yeah. You know, I thought he had a very good, lively, rangy, typically yeah. athletic Ryan Baird type of game. Not surprising Leinster of options, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and the rest. Uh, Fiona, just one other point on that game. How did Harry Byrne look to you uh, the anointed one for so long and then this season hasn't really flourished for him the way he might have hoped or expected how did he look? Yeah I thought he looked really good he, as he looked like the better out half on the day I thought he controls the game really well I thought his kicking was good um, he's obviously been had bad luck with injury he he got through the game on skated like poor Frawley he's another fella who's just who, who looks so lively and then just got you know injury seems to be following him around the place but I thought Harry Byrne was excellent in controlling it you know he's he's obviously playing with these guys as well you know if he's the, the third choice as we'd say second third choice for Leinster he's playing with these guys They look he looked comfortable he looked like he he built up a good bond with the lads outside him and I, I thought he perfect control of the game from start to finish and his kicking was really good from hand as well okay very good uh, Jerry I've got an idea for an Irish Times feature where we attach a like a GoPro to your head and you've to <laughs> partake in a Tuesday session and then a Munster Tuesday session and you tell us afterwards which uh, which you fared better in do you remember the days we used to be able to go to training sessions? My God, those days are gone. Long I, I don't yeah. even. I don't even. When when yeah, when, when long, did that stop? Long, I remember once being back at a training session in Stradbrook, and um, 
Paul O'Connell and Leo Cullen got into a bit of a contretemps, and there was a, a fair <laughs> bit of shooing going on between the B pack and the A pack, and there was the scrum got very more intense. And whoever the team manager came over to us and said, "You're not going to report that now, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, training sessions now shut off totally. You'd never be told, "Look, you can come to one." Oh, God, no, God, no, no, no chance. No, 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 no. no. I, I get in. All right, the months are good with the coaches. They kind of get it. They let them in to have a look at some of the sessions down in Munster. So they, but I think it's only kind of come on board this year, maybe or in the la- in the last couple of years. Anyway, they're very open to it, but not media, maybe. Yeah. Well, that maybe would be one of the benefits if Leamy does go from Leinster back to Munster. That he brings a lot of that mm-hmm. um, insider knowledge from the Leinster way they go about their business. Uh, Leinster will be very upset at that, won't they? Um, yeah, but you know, they've it's um, life. life. That's that's the nature of professional sport. You know, Felipe Contamomi moves on as well. Um, I've heard whispers. I've written about it that one of the players they've identified to replace Dennis Leamy for as their kind of like. Uh, Contact skills coach could be Sean O'Brien. Jeepers is no better player and that kind of on both sides of the ball and that and the way he operated than him, he'd be an interesting um, return and uh, addition to the kind of Irish coaching retinue of coaches around. Wouldn't it be if Sean O'Brien came back to Leinster? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So European final, there was a, I think it was in your piece, uh, Jerry. Leo Cullen was talking about Will Skelton. Will Skelton played the last 13 minutes for La Rochelle against Stade Francais in a, in a win, a big win as well for Ron Nogar and La Rochelle has them up to fourth in the table. They beat Stade Francais 32 points to 13. And Leo Cullen said, with a wry smile, he doesn't say much in the media, Leo, was very uh, judicious, I would say. Uh, so he said, obviously it was interesting Skelton came back from his season-ending injury, which was interesting. <laughs> so uh, noted in Leinster I suspect in their planning for him I don't know did you get to see any of the game Jerry, or how Skelton looked he can't be at 100% I mean I, w- I would think if they can get 20-30 minutes out of him they might yeah, take it I would think yeah 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 yeah. I would think that would be the, that he's, a, he's a good bonus to have back for a 20-30 minute impact roll off the bench but he's unlikely to be the force that he quite was in the final in Newcastle or in the semi-final in Marcel de Flander last year against La Rochelle he just it would be unlikely you would have thought um, and all in all, I think anyway, Leinster, as they showed against Leicester in the quarterfinals with a lot of big men, um, uh, like their second rows in Genge and the South Africans in the back row, and certainly against Miafano and Joe Corey and others in, in Rory Arnold, to lose a lot of big men. I think Leinster have shown this season that they're they're just much better in the contact skills than they were a year ago. I think it's, they're a tough, I don't they think they've been bullied once physically this season. Yeah. Leicester Tigers tried to do it but couldn't, and I'm not too sure... I think they're just better equipped to cope with Will Skelton, even if he's at full tilt and playing the full 80. Uh, Fiona, on the breakdown then, Leo Cullen was also talking uh, ahead of this final and he was he was even referencing the Ireland-France match in the Six Nations and he was saying in terms of a template, uh, there are things we're going to need to make sure we're braced for and prepared for mentally and physically as well. And he was talking in the context of the breakdown there. So Leinster have been sensational in that department of late. And But La Rochelle won the best teams at the breakdown as well in this competition. So who's going to come out there on top, do you suspect? I think I I think uh, Leinster, as Jerry said, they've learned a lot in the last year. Their contact and how they're approaching their carries, um, even turnover wise when they're making their decision making around the breakdown is a lot better. Um, so I think Leinster are well equipped for this Larry Shelting. I know you're talking about Will Skelton and he he'd about 13 minutes, but he got a really really good turnover. I think there was about three minutes left in the game. So right. you know he he brings that to his game as well, but definitely didn't look himself fitness wise. Um, but that takes match fitness. 
and he will he will probably get a good 20 minutes I would imagine 25 minutes but I, I breakdown wise I think Leinster have been exceptionally clinical you know you look at Toulouse I know La, La Rochelle are, are really good around that area as well and Raj would have put a lot of work into that and he'll know trying to target that area with Leinster but I just think this system they play the coaching the good habits they have in their ball carry and their clean out and, and the speed of which they're they're getting at that ball away under three seconds I don't think a team can get near them at the minute Okay Any word on Furlong or Low, Jerry? Just watch the, the same kind of low-key message yes on course they're back training this week we, we, but not fully are going to increase their load as the week progresses so we'll be monitored closely before a decision is made mm. So we but it's, this guessing game is the same all the time we just won't know until mm. midday Irish time 1pm French time midtime Irish when the teams are announced and who's on the team sheets you just just don't know for sure. The The vibe seems to be that Furlong and Lowe will both be fine. And you'd hope they would be because obviously they'd be both game changers given that Furlong is so important to that Leinster game generally, but particularly the scrum. If Furlong wasn't playing, we all saw what happened at Twickenham even with Furlong there. Um, Irish coaches don't like admitting it, but I'm sure a lot of people around the world watching Twickenham, watching what happened to Munster against Toulouse, I'm sure La Rochelle will go after the Leinster scrum and it only needs a few d- bad days for mm. for you to get a bad reputation and then it becomes something that everybody's going to go after. It's in Scotland, never mind South Africa, everybody. Um, so yeah, you want him to play and he's, a, he's just like he's world-class tight head and Ireland don't produce world-class tight heads too regularly. And then James Lowe is perhaps the most potent player in the Heineken Champions Cup this year, bar none. With his try scoring, his try assists, his offloading, his breaks, his strength in the left flank, and of course that mighty left boot of his. Like there's no, there ain't a second James Lowe around. No. Left boot wise as well, Jerry is just yeah. immense. You'd wonder though if he wasn't available, would Larmer be walking into that starting spot? I suppose that's a, you know, he has that X factor. So. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Leo Cullen was also, Fiona, saying how even though this isn't a home game for La Rochelle, he said, we, we, we are treating this as having to win away in France and that this is like, he didn't use this phrase, but like almost a quasi home tie for La Rochelle. Do you buy that? Yeah, like, you know, we know the weather over there, so they're, so they're going away from here. We're used to the cold and, and the misery over here. So the, the French are used to that weather. Um, I know they both have to travel, but um, I, I, I do. I think it's I think they have to look at it that way. They have to look at it as an away fixture. They have to be well prepared for what that French crowd that are going to go. We know the Leinster supporters will travel out there, but I but I, I do think it's 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 good mindset from Le- for Leo and his team to be thinking that, that you're going into that cauldron that is playing a French team away. Way and have that in the back of your head for the entire game. Hmm. I couldn't tell, Jerry. I mean, maybe it's easier to decipher when he's um, speaking to you in person. Did, did you get the sense he was, he was very serious about that point? That he did see this as like oh, an, an aspect to overcome oh, that's in Larry's oh, favour. Absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. And, and what's more, he speaks from experience. He actually had me go back over the records and go and find out how Leinster have done in knockout matches, right? Just in knockout matches in France. So semi finals and quarter finals. Um, so far, and in the they played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They played seven matches in France, knockout stages, and they have lost. Um, they've lost one, two, three, four, five of them, including the last four. The last time they won a knockout match in France, by my calculations, was when they beat Clermont in the semi-finals mm. ten years ago, which was an epic. It was an epic, and they only barely got over the line thanks yeah. to brilliant play tackle was by Gordon Darcy. And you know they really Wayne Barnes was the referee there that day as well. He's the referee on Saturday. Mm. Yeah, they lost to Toulon. They lost Toulon twice, once in Marseille, once a quarter final, once in Toulon. 
and then they lost to Claremont away, and then they lost to Horsel Irish last year. So it it does it's a completely different dynamic, and he was very serious about that point. And at the risk of sounding really stupid and saying the blindingly obvious, it is a final, and finals tend not tend to be tight, taut, nervy affairs. Um, and then you've got you know the one-off factors on a given day, not least the appointment of Wayne Barnes as referee again. Who knows what could happen? It's just yeah, but that one playing in front. It not it's not in Sad Marcel de Flandre, but it's definitely more home advantage, more towards La Rochelle than it is Leinster for just being in French air on French soil in front of a, a French, largely French crowd. Yeah, it feels odd to say this ahead of a European final, but I mean, I I feel like there's no point asking for predictions. I'm not going to speak to you again in, in advance of it because I can't find anyone tipping La Rochelle. I, I I don't suppose either of you have changed your minds. No, not on the, the back of how focused we saw these, you know, watching even that Leinster, whatever, second, third, whatever you want to call it, strength team. It looks like a team exceptionally focused. The attention to detail they all have in their coaching, they look like they're really focused on that fifth star. And, um, you know, these guys have had rest. We know um, La Rochelle beat Stade Francais at the weekend. That was a huge game. I, I, I watched it, a very, very physical game at that. Now I know they have a weak recovery, but it just looks like it's set for, for Leinster to get that fifth star for me. Yeah. Jerry, would you dare say relatively comfortable even? Uh, no, I wouldn't think relatively comfortable because it's a final. Um, now, there is all sorts of issues and question marks around Victor Vito as well. And mm. is Tawera Carabardo definitely not going to play? That that would be a big loss. He started every single one of La Rochelle's Heineken Champions Cup games for the last two seasons. So he would be a big loss. Um, I don't think Leinster have the same advantage and freshness and hunger over La Rochelle that they did have over Toulouse or running on emptier, Munster had stuffed them up a week before and they were quite sated, although that French core players, La Rochelle are hungry, they're back in the final. You always fear a team that loses in the final, getting back to a final a year later, because they will invariably have those wounds, but would have learned lessons from it as well. And then we had an audience with Dogar for tomorrow's um, UK and Irish media, and like, you know, just just looking at him and listening to him, yeah, he'll he'll, he'll have some plots, no doubt about it. He'll have something up his sleeve. But... Hmm. Um, I don't think it'll be comfortable and I think it will be I think it could be quite edgy and I think they'll have their moments in the game too Joe I, I, I've i cooled on the on the idea that this was a certain lens to win okay. I do think it's Leinster's time I do think they look well primed this again taken really stupidly blind to the obvious but very often the best team wins the Heineken Champions Cup doesn't always happen with knockout competitions but with you know the Heineken Champions Cup you think back to Munster and their pomp Wasps Toulouse even extra few years ago Saracens Toulon wherever Leinster the best teams generally win the Heineken Champions Cup. By everything, every metric, Leinster have been the best team in this year's tournament. Most tries, most points, most line breaks, best tackle success even. Um, and the other thing, the one thing that makes me think they're going to win is Johnny Sexton. Because if you also look back at it, that all the Irish Heineken Cups that have been won have been won with the three greatest Irish out-halves of the pro era, Humphreys, O'Gara and Sexton. Mm. And generally, if you go through the history of the tournament, whether it's Matt Gitto, Johnny Wilkinson, Owen Farrell, like I'm just thinking, but you think of Heineken champion winners and you just think of world-class number 10s, even remain entered back last season. Mm. And I do think as a general playmaker and particularly with his goal kicking, Leinster have a pretty significant edge there at 10, I would have thought. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, please don't break any embargo. I'm not pressurising you to, but was uh, O'Gara, like what kind of mood was he speaking to the media at large? Was he trying to say, oh, poor old us, we're just the underdogs, we don't stand a chance? Or <laughs> no, was he... no, 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 he was There wasn't that too many of those mind games. He was very <laughs> respectful of uh, Leinster, but he looked, and he, you know, they had a tough game on Saturday, but they got a lot of momentum from that. And uh, 
he he thinks they're a better team than a year ago mentally and stuff. He thinks they're in a good place and he he's very happy that the matches in France and not over in the Aviva Stadium because he where he's coming from there. Mm. And he made one point, Johnny, is that you know they've timed their run well. You know, I'm giving away far too much of this now. But anyway, um, I looked at their <laughs> records and they've won eight of their last nine matches now. They have, yeah. they have come in a bit of a row. They have, they have. Another unnerving factor. Yeah. Well, listen, Fiona's ordered her La Rochelle jersey. It's on the way. I think it's due to arrive in time for the the game signed by Raj signed by Raj and all <laughs> uh, it should, look it's a brilliant Saturday of sport isn't it Champions League final on as well so it's it's kind of yeah. one to just enjoy and savour um, it's brilliant if you can see both them not for those who can only see one of them I know I figured you might be up busy man yeah it's top at the top Jerry. you know <laughs> uh, where I am so uh, <laughs> Connacht by the way obviously uh, it was just a quick line Fiona we, we don't have too much time to get into it. We might yep. talk about them again when season quietens down. But they they held on against uh, Zebra, uh, <laughs> yeah. two point winners. Uh, they conceded two late tries, which left them hanging on. And <laughs> just the line which jumped out was Keen Prendergast, who said, uh, "We put ourselves in a position to win by more. It was very scrappy from us. A lot of stupid errors, symptomatic of our season. So that that's how Connacht feel about their season. Too many stupid errors." Yeah, they're right. I watched that game. I thought they, you know, I thought Prendergast started really well um, and then just errors crept into it. Um, their line speed in defence, the, some of the tries they leak were crazy in the last couple of minutes. So that's definitely an area they're going to have to look at if they want. They want. I love the expansive rugby. I love exactly what they're doing. I love how they, they play off set piece, you know, and they offer so many runners and all that. But defensively, they have been atrocious, let's be honest, at times. And it's an area they'll really have to focus on because, you know, you know, everyone loves to watch them, but you know, if you can't sort out your defence when it gets to this uh, stage of the season, and and they're not in big competitions, I mean, coming close to Zebra at home, signing everyone off is is not really how you want to finish off a season either. No, okay. Oh, by the way, Jerry, has travel proved tricky to Marseille? Very expensive, and it was so expensive before the semi-final that even if you were inclined to take a punt on Leinster winning and book an advance it wasn't going to save you that much money than if you just got onto a travel agent and just got a package in advance and just have booked yourself a seat in a plane, a seat hotel, if Leinster qualified on the basis that it would be charters because it's really exorbitant because you've got thousands and thousands of Liverpool fans have already booked their trips to Paris from all parts of Ireland as well as the, the UK. Um, a general shortage of aircraft, general shortage of airline staff. It's just... and. Uh, and airports, it's just, it's really, and then of course, yeah, the main thing, as I said, uh, having the two, the two finals on the same day in the same country. Yeah, no, I'd read that, all right. Uh, guys, brilliant stuff, thank you so much. Rugby on Off The Ball is, with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Fiona Hayes, thank you. Thank you, Joe, not Jerry. Yes, <laughs> appreciate that. And Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times. Cheers, Jerry. Cheers, Fiona, cheers, Joe. Good See talk. you later, well done. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us